This week, I had the absolute pleasure and privilege of spending time with Jared McKenna, pastor, activist, and globally recognized non-violent social change trainer. To use Jared's own words, throughout this conversation, you won't necessarily get to know more about him, but all of him is present throughout the conversation. From the start, we get into covering numerous ideas, issues and topics that range from the state of Australian national identity, being real about what's going on around us and acknowledging the canary birds in our society. What is grace? The number of questions Jesus posed throughout the Bible. The value of engaging, considering something bigger than yourself and taking stock of who you actually look up to to shape your desires. And there's so much more in this conversation. This conversation will stretch and expand your perspective in all sorts of directions. I myself was impacted by this and was deeply reflecting on this conversation for a number of days afterwards. Like I said, it was a true pleasure and privilege to speak with Jared and be in the presence and energy of a man who truly lives by his beliefs. So enjoy, Jared. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Living by what you believe in, sticking your head above the parapet, and following your faith into something much, much bigger than just yourself, are just some of the things I'm sure we'll be exploring today with my guest, Jared McKenna. Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bryn. Good to be with you. Yeah. Um, super thrilled to have you on the show, so thank you very much yeah, for this is fun. sharing your time. I'm glad we can be. Sorry it's taken a little bit of time. That's all right. That's we all got right. there. We did. <laughs> um, so you're a Perth boy, born and bred, that's correct. Born and bred, yeah. Born in Subiaco. Yeah. Uh, grew up initially in, in Balcata, then Churchlands. Yeah. Super. Um, one of the questions I always ask my guest is, what was it like growing up in WA? Hmm. Considering I only moved here nine years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, so uh, I'm an 80 baby. That makes me 38 at the moment, even though towards the end of 80. So um, Perth in the 80s, um, uh, I was primary school at... Um, Churchlands Primary, um, high school at, at Hale and then St. Stephen's for my last uh, um, couple of years. And they were all really positive experiences for me. I mean, it's that whole thing that fish don't know they're wet, right? So yeah. when it's your experience, it wasn't until living overseas and uh, working in aid development and relief that uh, have seen a lot of things and realising now that Perth is like an extraordinary place to bring up kids. Um, uh, or Fremantle. Uh, I made that cardinal sin of somebody from Perth being in Fremantle. I should also <laughs> mention Fremantle as it's not the same thing. Uh, but yeah, WA in general is beautiful growing up um, for me uh, on Wadjuk land of the Noongar people. And um, it's, uh, it's an incredible privilege to uh, be part of the, the beauty of this place and the biodiversity of um, WA and what what the beach means and what the hills mean and uh, what what it is to be here is something very special, I think. Did you get out and about in nature much while you were young? Yeah, it's actually, it was important to me as a kid. Like, um, uh, In fact, my parents talk about that I wouldn't go to sleep as a kid. And I don't know whether it was just delay tactics or whatever, Bryn, unless they um, would take me outside so I could say, nine out moon, nine out stars. And um, uh, I am at my best when I have a sense that, you know, we're a part of everything else. Um, Mm. 
our English language isn't helpful for that. We use words like nature, or people refer to me as an environmentalist, or yes. and it, it always others. Um, and yet the tradition that I'm from says that we're, we're all part of creation, that we're, we're all yeah. in this together, this dance that is life, um, uh, this mystery we can't think of merely as um, humans, but what about the other than human parts of, of reality? And uh, so I'm at my best after um, bushwalks and um, after surf and uh, after time, you know, just listening to the songs of birds and that kind of stuff awesome mm. awesome would you call yourself a proud west aussie or i i mean you know how how place <laughs> expresses itself as an australian i find really interesting so it's kind my, of asked. <laughs> my dad migrated here in in the 70s um he was born <clears throat> in in northern ireland um uh and my mum's family uh although uh Russian Jewish ancestry have been on the east coast of Australia and Victoria in particular is where my mum grew up and um, I even think since I was a kid the way that Australians relate to what it is to be an Australian has changed mm. I remember being in primary school and we were redesigning the flag and something happened under um, the Howard years after September 11th where um, we started to consider the flag in ways that um, uh, feel much more American um, than they do what previously was uh, Australian. Um, uh, How does that show up? Oh, do we go there already? Like, <laughs> I, I think in some of its most ugly thing, um, you, you take uh, the Cronulla riots or you take uh, um, just even some of the ugly stuff of um, trying to be with friends and family uh, to watch fireworks on... Um, January 26, which some of us refer to Invasion Day or Survival Day or um, Australia Day, and uh, seeing people wear it as a cape and those incidents of people saying, kiss the flag, kiss the flag, and um, that's very weird for, a, for a, a place where, you know, the story of Australia is we were either colonised, um, colonisers, convicts, immigrants or refugees right that's all of us yeah. um and for, for a lot yeah. of us we, we've only been here for like a, a a blink of the eye that's right like compared to 60 70 80 000 years yeah. um like the first nations people of this continent um and yet the lack of humility and the lack of well it's just, it just seems like a complete amnesia um so i've been thinking about it a, a lot since you know the the horror of the terrorist attack in christchurch and the fact that the terrorist was an Aussie and what does that mean? What, what does that mean? Um, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for me? What does it mean? You know, we live in such individualized societies that we're quick to say, oh, it's not my fault. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's one quote unquote lone wolf or... Um, well, it's easy to think like that because then it's him, not me. Not, yeah. Um, oh, totally right, and and that makes me feel safe and better about myself. It means that I don't I'm have to look at connected to him. Yeah, yeah. One of the big influences on me has been um, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who uh, is thought to be the greatest Jewish theologian of the twentieth century. Um, <clears throat> uh, survived um, uh, the Holocaust, uh, moved to America, worked with Martin Luther King. And reflecting on the Holocaust and, and the horror of six million people um, 
in you know what was one of the most um, sophisticated, cultured, um, intellectual nations on the European continent, Germany, mm. and yet this kind of scapegoating expressed itself so murderously um, as as the reality of the gas chambers is. Heschel talks about that um, few are guilty, yet all are responsible, mm. and I find that fascinating. I, I yeah. find what that means to think, okay, where, just like we were talking about, you know, creation, that we're not just atomized, individualized, but societies. I know Margaret Thatcher hated the idea of, like, <laughs> society. Like, but if, if we do actually belong to each other, mm. if, if there is no way through this other than with each other, um, if there is no them, only us, we have to look at this stuff. Like we actually have to to deal with um, this stuff, and I think the tragedy is that we're maybe moving to a brittle understanding of what it is to be Australian that expresses itself in in fear instead of what we could be. Mm. Like we, we live on land that has been, you know. It, it, sustained by the oldest living cultures in the world and yet it plays such a little reality in so many Australians understanding of themselves and I think that's a tragedy Mm. Uh, I think um, often people such as yourself Bryn who are coming from elsewhere will have a deeper appreciation for that than those whose um, uh, families have been here a couple of generations but I think I think the conversation is changing and uh strikes me that there's this huge deep well wealth of of knowledge mm. that could so easily be tapped into yeah i went to south america during mm. the late 90s wow and there you could you could see and feel the impact of the conquistadors yeah totally but you could still see and feel you know, this huge, deep well of yeah, that's knowledge. Right. Yeah, and I guess part of part of my drive, which expresses itself in the podcast and many other things mm. I do, is all right. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've got it all figured out. You know, I am work in progress. <laughs> I'm am, am yeah. figuring it out. I am work in progress. I know so little. Yeah. Um, but success leaves clues, mm. and <laughs> we can go and look at what works and take bits out of here. I mean, mm. you know, on a selfish basis, all of these podcasts and me being nosy into other people's lives <laughs> to find little nuggets of gold, yeah. which I myself can take on board and yeah, go, yeah. go integrate into my life and go execute. Yeah. Um, and then I share it as well. Yeah. And that's the, that's the altruistic part of me. <laughs> and then the sharing normally brings guests in as well. Um, so this, you know, this is a bit of a second. There. But um, yes, it, it strikes me that we have, even here in Australia, a huge wealth of knowledge. Mm. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to speak to... Um, Richard Wally on the show hmm. and just again I got the sense of being able to tap into a very deep well yeah. of knowledge and yeah. you know, the fact that he put forward a very simple but calm point which was you know, 250 odd years ago 
and everybody else turned up. We didn't need government. We didn't need prisons. Mm. We didn't need all the infrastructure. We were all living quite harmoniously with the land. Yeah. And then that was it. Go think on that one. Yeah. And that was really quite deep. Oh, totally. And then again, at the other level, you know, we, you talk about what it means to be Australian. Um, I, I'd agree that I can see similarities between Australia and America. And the first time I came here was 1996. Huh. No, 1994. And it seemed like a very free and easy place to be where you yeah. define yourself however you wanted to. And something has changed along so there's the way. Been a, there has been a shift, hasn't there? There has definitely yeah. been a shift along the way. And, you know, as I mentioned to you before, we, we started this, you know, I went and did a, a neuro-linguistic programming course. Hmm. And one of, the, one of the wonderful things, bits of knowledge that where I can place things now is this idea that, you know, we have, we have behaviors, then we have thoughts, we have belief patterns, we have values. Um, and when we have a sense of identity and mm. then above that is a sense of purpose and it almost strikes me that there's a, a, a I want to say a crisis at the identity level yep. but the crisis is you can call it a crisis if you want but it's it's kind of needs to happen in terms of at the end of the day you know, I moved from one uh, I, on one level, I call myself a proud Englishman, especially when the rugby team rolls out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I love it. But then at another level, you know, I left England. Yeah. And, and you know, administratively, I'm a citizen of Australia as well. Yeah. And at one level, you know, I, I understand my roots and where I came from and how that shaped me. But the other end of the other end of the scale, I don't care. Mm. And and so in not caring, I can, I can define my own identity. Mm. And to kiss the flag and all this, that, and the other. Mm. Like, I sort of get it, but at the other level, it just holds you back. And I could see how, well, if I haven't got the flag, what else have I got? Yeah, and, and that's the tragedy of it, I think. You've got um, so much. Yeah, yeah. And like to go back to your question, uh, like, am I a proud Sandgroper? Am I a <laughs> proud West Australian? Um, uh if you mean what Tim Winton means, where he, like, through the poetry of his writing, for, for me, it's actually about location. It's, it's about connection. Mm. It's about the, the story of this place. And um, <clears throat> to tell the last two minutes of a story is to miss all the story. Um, uh, and that's the tragedy of some of the brittleness around... Australian identity at, at the moment is that the easygoing, sun-loving um, larrikins that we're thought of internationally, it, it has changed. And I think it's because we haven't dealt with our, our nation's original sin of like colonisation and, and genocide. And because of that, we can't deal with how that expresses itself. Um, uh, you know, the, the first week of Parliament in 1901 we pass white Australia policy and um, we are still living in the aftermath of the trauma um, that that history causes and I think it expresses itself in how we welcome those who are seeking safety and the mm. fact that it's just such a political football means that we can't approach it with the kind of humility you're expressing, Bryn. Uh, you know, Socrates talks about the beginning of wisdom is not knowing but not knowing. And it's the awareness of not knowing that we can actually 
um, we, we become inquisitive. We, we become people of like wonder and awe and inquiry and mm. um, the, there's a there's a sense of, of wanting to go deeper. Um, last night, um, my gorgeous little family were around at friends' places and, and Nick's a Wurundjeri woman and we just spent the whole night just telling <clears throat> stories. And um, at the end of it, she, she said as we were going home, um, uh, you know, for, for my mob, we yarn so we can heal. Hmm. And I think the importance of, you know, WA Real and the, the work you're doing is, um, yeah, it's it's great if people can have like little tools and um, yeah. ways of packaging um, this kind of stuff. But uh, we're narrative beings. Hmm. The, the stories we tell determine how we are in the world, yeah. how we feel about ourselves and others and... The story um, you tell yourself is how you define yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and identity flows out of story, not the other way around. Hmm. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I think this is the, the work that there is to do. And so something that is more grounded here, that has a, a longer memory, that isn't scared to actually take responsibility, but knows that transformation comes from looking at this stuff and having the courage to take responsibility instead of dealing um, cover-ups and um, self-propaganda and that kind mm. of fragility um, so that we could be what we can't yet imagine but is possible it is possible for Australia to to be leaders of um, uh, compassion in the region instead of what we're currently doing in terms of our immigration policy or what we're mm. currently doing in terms of the incarceration of First Nations people in our prisons and and those kind of realities. Um, but if we can't have identities that open us in humility to larger stories, we will always resist that. <laughs> you know, people will press pause on a podcast and look for something else. Yes. Because it asks of something that we fear if our heart opens to this, it might not be able to hold it. I think the irony is, Bryn, that maybe our hearts can't hold it, and that's the point, that it's, it's only the heart that, that can expand under the reality of this, um, that this stuff can flow through, and we can actually move into something we can't yet imagine. Yeah. I, I really like how you put that, particularly based on your heart, which is mm. a theme that turns up in a lot of these podcast yeah right opening your heart and being heart centered you know, it's very easy nouveau to say that but mm. the way you just put that there is yeah quite practical quite tangible to understand yeah i had um I had a lady called jan rodder on the show quite quite a while back and we talked about environmentalism and looking mm. at the environment and this that and the other and and the biggest thing she said was the most difficult thing is most people know that we need to do something. Yeah. But then when it goes beyond that, it, it gets all scary and it and it's yeah. all, well, that means I'm involved and I'm responsible and what does that impact? And, and oh, press pause. I'll go off and do something else. Hmm. And there are so many areas where we do so quickly and, and it's so easy to distract ourselves with, oh, I'll go and do something else. Yeah. You know, it used to be like, I'd do the cleaning or something out, but now it's just pick up your mobile. Yeah, you know, Twitter. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter <laughs> Facebook, and they go, bang. 
an hour later, oh, it's time for bed. I didn't have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we, and part of that is even cleaning is an action that places us back in our bodies. Mm. Our inability to actually be, um, to live from our heart and, and to, to live in our bodies that we, we outsource with, um, yeah, we, we outsource our pain to forms of escapism uh, because we do fear that it's too much for us. Mm. And part of that is that so many of us lack real community. We might have a, a larger network, which we hang out with, work with like professional colleagues and um, our friends from the, the footy team or um, uh, the yoga group you're part of or, or, or whatever it might be. But so many of us actually lack the kind of community where we can hold these things together. Mm. And so when tragedy um, does hit, either personally or collectively, uh, my mate Nadia talks about how, um, you know, your yoga teacher isn't always the one who's going to come around just with a casserole because (laughs) you're in so much pain that you can't think about dinner tonight. And yet we do need those kind of communities where it doesn't, Mm. it isn't based on transaction, but a sense that transformation is us in this together. Mm. Um, and yeah, we're as important as professional boundaries are, and they really are. Um, that's only sustainable if we have larger communities where we can be vulnerable and have spaces to you know express we're living through an unprecedented ecological crisis that yeah. 1.4 million high school students went out on the streets to draw our attention to last week and yet um you know yeah it's business as usual yeah um on monday and we're also going through you know an epidemic of anxiety clinical anxiety and yeah. depression yeah and we yeah. and we act as if it's unrelated yeah oh, <laughs> yeah you know and and while well, i applaud the are you okay? Yeah. At the other end of the scale, it's like, are you okay? No, no I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> All right. Where am I going now? Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me give you a helpline. <laughs> let me like, give you a helpline. Yeah. yeah. Dial. It's like, cool, outsource it. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, from an economic point of view, you know, the whole world is leveraged to hell and yeah. and and the central banks are leveraged and yeah. blah, on, on a myth like we're, we're not even like there's not even a gold standard which no we, we are, that went ages ago yeah, in the 70s yeah we're trading we're on that's right yeah. <laughs> we're, we're trading on ideas that like I mean theologically it's a complete Gnostic reality so Gnosticism um, uh, was I- expressed in Christian theology as a heresy that longs um, to be saved from all of reality instead of longs for the saving of all reality. And so our economic systems are based from, on nothing that is real. Yeah. Nothing. We think that success for us is so often defined by limitless choices instead of what are the, the right limits of a good and grounded life where I'm in community with others in ways that we can actually depend on one another in ways that are interdependent instead of dependent um and we find it hard to even imagine those things so economically we can't think of our way out other than um uh you know some larger entity whether it be the the state or the market um will save us (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I think I, I saw a fantastic documentary by, is it, I've got to get the right Curtis here, because one wrote this documentary and the, the other one wrote Love Actually. Um, oh, right. It's Richard Curtis, I can't remember. Right. Anyway, he did this documentary called Hypernormalization. Huh? Which kind of looked at what was going on in, in, started off with looking at what was going on in Russia before the fall of the, of the wall and then how that impacted. Yeah, right. And how everyone knew deep down, everyone knew deep down, it was all screwed up. Mm. But they carried on regardless with this beautiful light, blind sight, because they didn't know what else to do. You know, I, I'm one of the podcasts I'd like to have, and I'm, 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 I think I'm about ready to do it. Is I would like to talk to someone about politics because why does yeah. what not left or right? Yeah, I'm not actually interested in that. Sure. It's more the case of you vote someone in for four or five years stint, they're only going to have a four or five year horizon. Yeah, that's right. So screw. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's so true. One of the most yeah. one of the most beautiful counter stories to that. Uh, that I read once was in, in the great hall at Cambridge mm. in one of the um, uh, one of the dining rooms in one of the, the the colleges there I think it's New College I can't remember anyway they had this they had these lovely wooden beams right uh, made out of a particular tree and um, let's just I'll tell you call it oak and it got to the point about sort of what was it 15-20 years ago where they were decaying and they mm. were coming to pieces and it's like we're really going to have to replace them. And then it's like, well, we've got to replace them with the same stuff because, you know, with the same college, with the college, you know, da, 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 Cambridge, mm. all of that. So they sort of said, well, we're going to have to source where we can get some similar beams from this, that, and the other. And, and somebody just took the time to go and speak to the groundsman about the different trees that they had on the grounds. And the groundsman said, we've been waiting for you for 200 years. Wow, incredible. These are the trees yeah. that we planted. These are the trees that we planted when the hall was built for the next level of, for the next beams. Wow. So the groundsman had been handing that on year on year on year for 200 odd years. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Now that, that yeah. Now that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, um, the monks up at, the That's New Norcia Monastery, yeah. they have a 500-year plan. Hmm. I, I find that, like, well, what is it for to think of our lives in terms of what will our great-great-grandchildren think about how we spend our time? Yeah. We're living in this un unique moment in history where we have access to resources um, that won't go on forever that we, we haven't had access to forever. Yeah. And so how are we using them um, and how will future generations actually think about how, what we're doing and how we're spending our mm. time? And, and I think the reason why so many people are, are tired of, of politics isn't that people... I mean, for Plato, the classic understanding of politics is how one organises society. I think most people are interested in that. Like, yeah. what is it to actually organise society in such a way that it's life-giving and there is a concern for the common good. And, and there are different approaches to that, but I think most people are interested in that. What most people have no time for is the tribalism. Yes. That it expresses itself as much of party politics, where it is this um, uh, career-orientated, short-term, thinking about election cycles um, instead of the sense of what we could be and, and how yeah. do we have a, a vision... Um, given what we're going through um, and, and instead of the kind of the harshness 
um, or the, the pat answers that we respond to this crisis that you're talking about in terms of uh, mental health issues at the moment, where we act, act as if it's like all these problems are located in individuals. Mm. Part of that, again, is that we, we don't have the kind of holistic thinking that we can see th these, you know, we are the canaries <laughs> in the mind. Like we, yeah. um, and I think those of us who are more sensitive are um, those who are often um, hit the hardest by it as well. And instead of seeing these people as being a drain on the economy, realizing that our priority is wrong and like economics is to support a life, not mm. life for economics. Correct. And rather than these people being a drain, the, the, like these vulnerable parts of our community are actually indicators that we're not well. Um, not they're not well. We're, we're not, not well. well. Do you, like, and if we can uh, approach it like that, and I think for me, Bryn, a lot of these, um, this lesson in particular came from like years of being a carer for people with disabilities and realizing the incredible gift um, uh, those who get relegated as, um, you know, n not being functioning members of our market driven society mm. are actually the ones that call us to um, what it is to be alive. Um, not not in sentimentalized kind of ways, in in all the awkwardness um, and uh, pain of what it is, but also the joy and the simplicity and um, the beauty that w we need each other, and mm. and what we need from each other is actually far less complicated than we make it. Um, my, my dad likes to talk about um, how attention is another word for love. Yeah, and. The, the importance of actually being present with another person, acting like, you know, people aren't a means to an end, but this is life right now. And this is somebody of inherent value. And, and there is a, a dignity um, inherent in all of humanity. And what is it to be present to one another in such ways that even while somebody is like going off, um, that we can be present in such ways to, to receive that, that it actually doesn't continue that cycle for them, that they're actually heard. And I think we all need that, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. We do it, we do it as parents. If you want to punish kids, just whoosh, tensions off them. Yeah. Which I almost <laughs> wonder is more cruel, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, you have on the cold shoulder. Whew. Yeah, I mean, it's almost more nasty, isn't it? Like those dynamics where you're in an office and instead of dealing with a conflict where somebody avoids or looks past or in a meeting and um, you become invisible, yes. you'd, you'd rather somebody like call you or whatever. Call and, yeah, um, but almost we've lost the technology of how to do conflict in such ways mm. that um, we see conflict as a gift. Um, rather than a curse and see we, we used to talk about um, conflict resolution and uh, the conflict studies now talks about conflict transformation because we shouldn't see conflict as something that mm. is a bad thing that needs to be resolved but it, conflict is actually an opportunity that opens us up to um, listening more deeply to what we need and what others need and how do we actually meet those in ways that um, uh, you know the Early 90s management language was win-win, right? Like, yes. um, how do you 
uh, look for win-win situations, which I actually think is uh, about um, how do we practice nonviolence, um, not merely as the absence of violence, but uh, some of my mentors um, have schooled me in it, it's the, the presence of a power that is more powerful than force. And that's a, that's a very different conversation. Its concerns isn't like the whole egg boy thing. I found it fascinating. Uh, people's yeah. responses and and the um, the disproportionate responses to a larrikin kid not throwing an egg he just smacked it on the back of a head and I'm not saying it's a great tactic nor am yeah. I saying it's transformational you go back into you know Aussie trips. history that's go back right into English history oh totally yeah. rotten tomatoes that, that's right yeah yeah well, the reason that was why part, we actually part of the game <laughs> have a, a federal um, uh, police force is because um, in 1917 in Queensland, while Billy Hughes, the then Prime Minister, was trying to do a drive for the Yes um, conscription for World War One, yeah. somebody threw an egg at him. And uh, so, like, there is this long tradition of... Um, but I found it fascinating. Egg in a poly. And I just found it fascinating that people were equating... Like, I just saw this ridiculous commentary where people were like well this is where terrorism starts like this is violence as well and there's no symmetry between the kids in Dondale like actually wrecking the place because their childhood is literally imprisoned in Dondale and the violence of Dondale itself or um, Palestinian kids um, chucking rocks um, as military vehicles rumble through their streets or like if we can't see the larger context, we'll end yeah. up moralizing instead of like actually diagnosing what is this and how do we get to the root of this and, and what then transforms instead of... Rumi has this beautiful poem where he talks about um, there's a field beyond uh, right and wrong. I'll meet you there. And uh, I think often the, the, the moralizing of right and wrong where... Again, it's about a fragility of identity. Am I good or am I bad? We just need to grow up. Like, it's like, what is the good that we're seeking? What is the direction we're moving? Mm. Realizing we're all in this together. People in prison don't go away. So what's prison going to be that it's actually oh. something that transforms or gives the opportunity for um, people to actually transform rather than merely understandings of... Uh, punishment which um, are punitive yeah um, and I think there are experiments we can do as parents I think there are experiments we can like do as friends and um, the, the ability to actually uh, be vulnerable I don't think starts out with being you know I'm a good person but actually starts with I'm part of the problem yeah and um, anybody who's been to AA or Narcotics Anonymous or knows that you know it's one of the first steps um and i think it's the first step we we all need to take at the moment given hmm. this ecological crisis and where things are headed because hmm. to to just focus on i i had this set in my life where i was like i'm a good man you know hmm. I, I do this and i do this and i look after then all of a sudden, poof, found myself doing some weird and wonderful behaviour. And all the wheels <laughs> came off my life. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there going, 
I'm not good, you know. Yeah. And then I went very much into the shadow part of myself. Yeah. And then what I, where I've come to now is that, like you said, is I am both good and bad. Mm. I'm generous and stingy. Yes, right. I'm energetic. I'm energetic and lazy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I am all of me. Yeah, and you know, I want to ask you about because you're a pastor. I am, and, and um, we haven't even got to that bit yet. It's been great. Not um, a paid pastor, and I've only had two years of my life, uh, and I've been in um, ministry since I was 18, yeah. where it's been my source of income. Right, which I. I have started telling people because I think people have often thought, oh yeah, that's a career like any other. But for me, that's, yeah, that's not that. what it's about. I've yeah. worked um, uh, as a trainer for activists, for groups like um, Greenpeace, and um, I was a national advisor for faith and activism for World Vision Australia mm. um, and a consultant for World Vision New Zealand and uh, worked for World Vision Middle East, Eastern Europe as their consultant for nonviolent social change. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, for for me, pastor isn't so much a role, and certainly not a title. When people call me pastor, so and so, I'm like, it's pastor yeah. It, <laughs> um, I think pastor pastoring, you know, it's a <laughs> agrarian metaphor. It's to do with sheep. It's yeah, because um, it comes to the Latin word to shepherd. To shepherd, exactly. Yeah. Like it's to it's to care, and yeah. so either it's something you do, but calling somebody a pastor doesn't make them somebody who cares for people's yeah. souls and well-being. Like, yeah. yeah, they kind of got to do that for themselves to start with. To totally. help them on the Which journey. Which is part of the journey. Yeah. 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 Actually, one of, the, one of the things I wanted, because you brought out some of the stuff that you've done. Um, I, look, I always get, um, still to this day, I, I get nervous before doing a podcast. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it, to me, it means it means something. Yeah, um, yeah. It's always like, oh, am I going to do this? like energy in this conversation proud and da 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 go through that huh. beforehand and I had quite a bit of it before you came because um, I thought wow right well cool. you're you're ever the professional because I couldn't tell <laughs> thank, <all> you. <laughs> thank you uh, yeah I go through a bit of preparation just try and minimise it all but um, and I look back at who are the ones that really get me the same in the same level of nervousness beforehand and it's always people who are willing to go there huh and I do the bunny ears around the go there. Yeah. Um, those who are willing to probably stick their head above the parapet yeah. and, and, and live their beliefs and, and do that. Where does that come from in the Jared stuff? To go back to what you were saying before, Bryn, yeah. and I really appreciate, like, not just your honesty with me, but, like, um, with your listeners, which I think, you know, is probably the reason why you've got the listenership you do is because you allow people in. Um, I think when we respond, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, it's because we are so fearful of the stuff that we clearly know isn't that. Yeah. And there is a goodness that underlies, I believe, what we what we do, both good and bad. That, that, um, that there is a... Uh, Thomas Merton, um, who has been a big influence on me, he, he talked about the immortal diamond. Um, that there, there is there is something um, in us of such value and worth mm. and part of the good person games. And religion is a wonderful place to, A, hide from God and, yeah. and B, play good person games. Oh. Um, mm. Where, you, you know, it's a, a form of self-propaganda 
we're um, seeking to find worth, we prop ourselves up against others and use religion as a way of, well, I was in church three times this month, so I'm better than, you know, or I attended synagogue this week or um, uh, I've been to mosque for prayer on Fridays this many. And um, all of that is a massive distraction from what those spaces from the real work <laughs> from doing the real work <laughs> yeah. and and as you talked about like in terms of the the shadow Carl Jung like in, in terms of Jungian psychology he he said that 90% of the shadow is gold yeah if we can actually own um that which we suppress and deny about ourselves um that's where the the real energy of who we are yeah. actually is and um i i think I'm not interested in an activism which is more woke than thou. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, I am so... And the, the older you get, the more you know of yourselves and how complicated we all are and um, uh, the, the things we do and, and what motivates and the things that we do and we're not even sure w- what motivates, um, but both good and bad that there has to be a deeper sense of of mercy and kindness to ourselves um of patience with ourselves than these games of um am i good enough hmm. um or or pretending that uh, life is somehow a wager of bad weighed up against good um and, and these ridiculous notions that don't do justice to um, the Jewish and Christian uh, notions of what spirituality is, but they also do harm mm. to our souls. Like it's um, bad theology, even if you don't believe in the God that animates the theology you believe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a, a subtle, a subtle thing. Um, sometimes bring people who are like. Oh, I, don't, I don't believe in God. I'm like, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And they start, um, you know, this male deity at a distance in the sky, judging people uh, with a beard and who's naughty yeah. and who's nice. And I'm like, it sounds like Santa. Like, I, I don't believe in that God either. <laughs> yes. Like, uh, I'm not sure what any of that. Um, but bad theology is bad for us. Mm. Bad philosophy is bad for us. Um and the question becomes what bad meaning uh nasty yeah um however we ultimately understand reality um if you want to put the b big g to that term or 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 not may or may not be helpful um if we think the world or the universe is ultimately out to get us. Um, we will live scared, yep. fragile, um, scared, inward-looking, um, brittle lives. If we think the nature of all that is is actually um, competitive and vindictive, that's how. Like, we, I think we become what we worship. Uh, and people are like, I don't worship anything. And it's like, where have we spent our time? Yeah. How have we spent our money? Um, where do we learn our desires from? And I think that, Bryn, is key. Mm. If we can identify who are the people that I look up to 
who actually teach me what to desire. And are those desires actually moving us in the direction of healing and wholeness and a groundedness? Or are they moving me in a direction of um, us against them, uh, like the, the, the envy, the dehumanizing, the, the using others, the, the manipulation? Um, that reveals what we worship, regardless of whether we believe in a deity or in not. God or yeah, exactly yeah. the most yeah. near term. Yeah. Um, and the, the the biblical sense of idolatry is um, uh, those self-created things that we give our life to that aren't big enough to hold the mystery of compassion that delivers. Say that again, sorry. Yeah, uh, idolatry, um, yeah. Uh, like the, the worship of idols and the, the yeah. biblical um, both... Jewish and, and Christian wisdom uh, witness to the reality that uh, idols are, are that which we give our lives to, that we create, that aren't big enough to hold the mystery of a compassion that delivers, of, mm. of, of a love that actually liberates, um, of uh, that which we struggle to put language around. What I'm talking about is what we talk about when we talk about God <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm trying to give people permission to go there might be stuff to learn here even though I'm not a God botherer like yeah and if if we can identify those things that animate our lives um, that self-awareness um, I think can be so incredibly helpful in, in being able to be kind to ourselves to actually see the stuff that we don't want to show others let alone look at ourselves I think, yeah. Do you find that, I would say that the recent Catholic scandal that came out, yeah, that gives us that gives a lot of people this cheap and easy way to go. Oh well, religion, yeah, it's all, it's all yeah. So I'm going to just chuck it out, and therefore that gives me a that gives me a free pass. Yeah, not to think about something bigger than myself. Yeah, not to think about. I mean. I, I was um, I was shuffled along to um, Baptist Sunday school. Yeah, right, kid, right. <laughs> With my grandparents because uh-huh. mum and dad wanted a bit of time off. <laughs> right, it's pretty obvious. Good for them. Um, yeah, you know. So I used to go and sing the hymns, and then uh, I used to go and do an hour or so of. Uh, this was up until about the age of eight when I went off to school. Um, I loved it. Mm. I love the stories. Yeah, yeah. I love the stories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the parables and songs and da 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 da. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I freaking loved it. And and from that, there's always been a sense of, yeah, there is something way bigger than me. And mm. I've been all good with that. Mm. And, you know, I've explored it in lots of different ways. Sure. Along my journey. But, oh, look, Cece's going to have a chat about footy and, Shit like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's how, how do we how do we hold people to have a discussion that that's safe and yeah. easygoing, or at yeah. least you can enter into? Because it strikes me that if we could at least consider something that's bigger than ourselves, mm. then we can start getting to that compassion for others and the fact that we are all connected and we're all, mm. all part of it. Because mm. while we keep it all 
me and maybe me and my castle and the people that live in it and mm. outside of my castle yeah no it's, it's them it's how do we sort of yeah enter into that you know and certainly stuff like the recent scandal doesn't help yep and like a, a couple of things I'm very aware that a lot of people get enough religion to hate yeah <laughs> and never enough to love mm. um uh, and to also say that it, like, it's not a prerequisite for being human and, uh, or for being involved in like seeking justice in the world or, um, the, the kind of arrogant proposition that, um, unless you're, again, it goes back to those, that ego game of how do I create this self identity of being a good person? Mm. Um, instead of what it actually does is it relativizes all identities. And I actually think that um, rather than giving people an excuse, there, there is something like so true to faith itself to be horrified at, and it's not just the Catholic church. Um, it, it's right across churches and it's not just Christianity. It's right across different religions and it's not just different religions. It's right across society. We could be talking about the swim team we could be talking about scouts. We could be talking about schools. Um, there is an epidemic of child sexual abuse. And one of the things that is different about how it shows up um, uh, in churches is the, the access and the records um, and the fact that it comes with this added layer. I think that's why people are horrified, Bryn, of hypocrisy. It's like, I mean, you might know 30 seconds of something about the life of Jesus. Or just the basics of, I've seen the Prince of Egypt, isn't your God like about freeing slaves? Like, even if that's your only experience, you're like, what the hell is this? Like, mm. it's, it's even worse than the Scouts, or because it's supposed to be like... Oh, you know, up here. Ex exactly. Like, isn't this yeah. supposed to call us to more? Isn't this supposed to... Yeah. And so when supposed leaders who, like... A, a culture which um, does cover up in terms of sexuality and then scapegoats um, uh, those who are same sex attracted or, or don't fit into a heteronormative kind of like here's the, the box and says, oh, the problem is them over there. While there is such incredible hypocrisy mm. of preying upon children, mm. like while then bashing like people who want to have a, a, a loving, committed relationship but are of the same gender it's like come on yeah and i think that response rather than those who seek to justify or to um that response is is closer to something of the heart of jesus and the heart of the jewish prophets um than any of the excuse making or the um i think for a lot of people um uh they've had maybe some experience and it was a, a childlike experience and you know childlike faith is a beautiful thing mm. for children <laughs> <laughs> right like um and uh, chesterton um talked about how there there is a, a second naivete where you're able development and, and in terms of um like spiral dynamics which is a a way of talking about almost the evolution of consciousness within different cultures. And in the same way we talk about developmentally, a child grows up. Um, 
if if people don't have problems with religion, they certainly haven't spent any time with the Jewish or Christian sacred texts because <laughs> it's always the prophets that like Jesus has more time yeah. with the religious elite than anybody else. Like it's fascinating in terms of like. Uh, you know, talk of hell, whatever that means, which is a complete discussion. But Jesus is never talking to outsiders, people who don't understand themselves as like holding um, the the keys to being on the inside. In, like, um, never talks to outsiders to them about hell, which is how you hear it from some of the evangelists yeah. when you come home late on a Saturday and you turn TV on and there's like incredible American with this like hairdo yeah. that has caused a hole in the ozone layer because the amount of like hairspray in it. And, and it's like, there's hell for all these, like the only time Jesus uses that, like, you know, you know, guerrilla tactics of, um, uh, Jewish apocalyptic, uh, literature yeah. is that those that understand themselves on the inside. Yes. As pushing others out and they're not worthy. And so why is it that like the irreligious, they ran to Jesus, yet they run from those who claim to follow him. And so for me, I, I never that's actually, really, that, don't that, you find that really fascinating? That's like really for deep. me, that's because they're the, they're the ones I, I heard it in something else that a chat was saying recently. They're the ones that stand between you and God. Exactly. And prop themselves up. And, um, you know, if you're making a buck off it, like you, you got to keep yourself in the game. So yeah. using guilt, um, uh, so it, it's the stick or the carrot. It, it's a way to control people. And, and what more effective way to control people? Where do people feel more vulnerable than sexuality? Hmm. I mean, how literally naked. Yeah. We, we feel Naked like primary uh, base energy that, that, that's right and and to manipulate that in such ways that um doesn't actually make people more aware and go of the journey of what it is to take these energies and make it a, a safe and life-giving force for others um that humanizes myself and others uh, r- rather than a predatory kind of it, it's like electricity like you can power a hospital you can light up a room uh but if you take a fork to a power switch you can also kill yourself or others mm. and so in response to that people think oh we're just going to turn the power off but it expresses itself like there are short circuits all the time like it's what it is to be human and the question is can it be transformed in directions that become life-giving mm. but people want it cheap yeah. You know, people um, find out the answer at the end of the, the, the book. Yeah. And if we can fake kindness instead of actually learn what it is to be kind to ourselves and let that overflow in the life of others. Yeah. And if we have no powerful experience that is bigger than the harm that has been done to us or the harm that we've done others, we will often replicate that harm. Yeah. It might not come out in the same way, but it, all. It, it expresses itself somehow. And that's the work for, for all of us of dealing with the cycles that we've stepped into that weren't of our creating. Will they be of our transforming? Yeah. And I think, I think great spirituality, um, uh, you know, and I'm stealing all this stuff from Jesus. So like in terms of, yeah, yeah. it's all open source. <laughs> like, like people can go and have like, a look at it. But the question of how this stuff gets transformed, how it gets transfigured and what it is. And that's why words are so important in terms of um, uh, the, the Christian uh, journey of grace. It all starts with grace. Um, what does grace mean to you? 
and that. Yeah, because <laughs> word, I, I really struggle with it. Yeah, I, I, I had this. Um, I had my bike nicked. Um, <laughs> yeah, all right. So last seven years, I've lived out at um, First Home Project, where um, easy over seventy asylum seekers and refugees have lived there. Um, at developing a rental history and so there's a lot of people that are coming and going and yeah. I'm not paid to do that that's just like um, how I've spent these number of years while while I can which has been and beautiful and um, uh, I've tried to, to give it my all um, and so there's a lot of people coming and going and the power went out and it was raining and it's a Saturday night and I'm trying to bring slides together for my sermon prep the next morning and the power yeah. goes out I'm like, better turn the power on, even though it's raining outside. Walk outside, it's like pitch black. A lot of cloud coverage, couldn't see. And because there's a lot of people coming and going um, on the vacant block um, that was a part of First Home Project, I looked out and there's um, this dude with a bike and I thought it was one of the crew that I live with from one of the other apartments. And I'm like, you right? And I see them in the dark move suddenly and this white bike disappears in the opposite direction. I didn't realize it until that moment, but that was my bike. My driver. <laughs> and so instinctively, I run up to the guy with my mobile phone, um, turning on my light, and um, I'm running towards him. I'm like, you right? And I get within a couple of meters and realize he's much bigger than me. Like, height's not my gift to the world, bro. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is completely stupid. I've cornered him. There's a creek, so he's got nowhere to go yeah. and he's got my bike and um so in that moment i go into my training of like how do we like de-escalate this situation how do we make this safe um okay in this situation it's not with riot cops it's with a dude who um is in a bad way and is still in my bike and um uh we're having this weird conversation it's raining it's hard to hear he's missing his front teeth i can't really understand what he's saying and i say to him in that moment you're not stealing my bike. And this is going to sound really altruistic and all the rest. It was actually self-preservation and protection. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm not getting beaten up over my bike. You can yeah. have my... Uh, I, said, I said to him, do you know what grace is? And he goes, nah. Um, and I'm like, oh, I thought that was... Like, and I said, grace is when we get not what we deserve, but what we need so we can be different. Right. And this weird interaction happened with this fella where um, uh, I needed to get out of the rain. I needed to turn my power on. But I said to him, I've got a spare bed like under the veranda. It's an outside um, bed. Uh, I've got a spare bed and, uh, on the veranda. And he's like, I know. I'm like, how do you know? He's like, I saw it when I nicked the bike. <laughs> I was like, right. So um, I can put clean sheets and it's warm. Um I can get you something hot to drink um, and get you some dry clothes because I'd asked him and he said he didn't have a place to stay. Uh, and again, this isn't like, um, like oh, this amazing kind of... It's just basic, like, how do I imaginatively and empathetically enter into this dude's story? Mm. Um, he needed to pay back a drug dealer and he thought the bike might be enough money. And as we're talking about it, he's like, um, maybe, maybe if there's any money left over, I can bring it back for you. I'm like, no, it's my freaking bike. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want the excess once you pay that. Like, 
Um, and so that's why, I, like, I, I let go of my bike, and um, his response to that was, "You've called the cops. You're trying to delay me." I'm like, "Mate, I haven't called the cops. I'm just wondering if you need a place to stay." Um, but grace, I think, is that power that actually gives us not what we deserve, um, but what we need. Yeah. And it, it's what we need to be different. Like yeah. to think of the worst stuff in your life and my life that we don't want other people to know. Mm. Um, what is it to realize that, like for me, I can't hide any of that stuff from God. And yet there is a there is a kindness that sees all of that. And yet deeper than my shame, there is a power that calls me out of that, not to be a good person and try and do differently. And but like I see all of that. Deeper than that, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you. And that you can be different. And I've seen that transform people's lives over and over and over again. And, you know, God botherers like me are going to put it down to the power of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. But maybe, maybe just that idea alone for people mm. when they allow it to impact them on that kind of gut level, mm. um, maybe that's an, enough of a starting point for a lot of us. And I think, I think conversations currently lack grace mm. uh, I, I think the way we respond to one another <clears throat> lacks a, a, a sense of um, self-awareness of how much mercy we all need I mean we're all so tragic and none of the stuff that we do that's messed up is all that creative I mean <laughs> compassion is creative right Compa like you see things and you're like that's innovative people have, you've started that shelter for women in situation domestic violence and it yep. it's, it's, runs a coffee shop on the side that's a creative but the things that we do that are bad they're not that creative there's mm. nothing that people hear and like oh that's innovative yeah. it's like oh okay yeah it's that flavour we've yeah. seen that a thousand times before yeah but how do we find spaces low energy response yeah that's right <laughs> how do we find spaces where um instead of self-propaganda games of like, I live on a different plane, actually like, no, it's all of us. Yeah. Cause the irony for me in that situation is that, um, my spirituality doesn't make me better than that guy. It makes me realize that I am that guy, mm. that guy still in my bike. I'm with slightly different story, different parents, different side of town, different experiences. I would be in exactly the same situation. Yeah. And if we can tap into that mercy that is there for us and that dignity that is deeper than the things that have been done to us or the things that we do, um, I've seen it transform people's lives and that that's incredibly powerful and, mm -hmm. and gives me a lot of hope for what's possible socially as well. So for, for me, activism is that grace that I've seen transform individual lives, um, seeking to see that transform, you know, policies and society as well. Um, uh, how can that kindness become our way of, of operating and then the way of organising society? Hmm. Um, I want love to be my politics. Like the only political parties I'm interested in is the kind of parties that Jesus threw, where there's like sex workers and tax collectors and zealots and yet they're all there not trying to you know impress each other with religious games but know that we're loved 
and we can actually be community together. Hmm. And I see examples of that. And uh, yeah, for me, that's miraculous. Are there any days where you just you just wish you could switch the activist button off? Sometimes does it ever get <laughs> too like yeah much? Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, because you you strike me as a person who opens yourself up to so much, hmm. and as I said earlier on, you'll as I said go there, hmm. and you know my own little way with the podcast I go to a place yeah yeah Um, but it's around my kitchen table and it's a microphone and it's pretty safe yeah it's great though (laughs) but I go well it's not always the kitchen table don't don't despise the small things no no no, no. but um, but yes even just considering what you do you know even right right down to getting yourself smuggled onto Manus Island and Mm. things like that and and opening yourself up to all the different people, all the different energy, all the different stuff. Are there any days when you just think, "Fuck, I wish I could just switch it off." Just <laughs> for the day, <laughs> wish I just could. Yeah. Wish I could just be, I don't know, content with just going in the pub and watching the footy for three hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for me, that's all part of it. Like, yeah. um, we tend to think about individualized super saints, right? Or like amazing activists. Like, um, I, I met Desmond Tutu last year. Like, yeah. For me, one of my biggest heroes. Yeah. Um, I, I quoted him the first time I ever spoke in church at 15 years old. For me, he's like a massive, massive deal. I, I'd been yeah. a Christian for like a year or so. And already he was on my radar as in terms of, this is somebody who I want to learn my desires from. Yeah. To use the language I was using earlier yeah yeah he had community and he also had the the poetry and the beauty of ways of expressing things that weren't his own that's the gift of tradition not you have to do what you've done before but it's jazz it's improv Mm. um you learn your scales enough that you you know where Mm. to go that you can um improv in the moment in such ways that um uh I had my ancestors like I had, I've just come back from Ireland and um, you know I, I went to um, Lockmore where St Kevin was said to stand in in the water until a, a bird made its um, nest in his in his hands his compassion for animals anyway like whatever you make of that like I yeah. think it's a freaking awesome story and um, but like there there are traditions to to draw on that means that compassion is is possible and part of that is actually lament so i for me the problem is not when i let things in it's when i don't let them out right so i know for others it might be to let anything in at all Mm. um but i i think uh, prayer for me is living in this flow where I, i i bring everything um, that I experience and I give it back to the only one who can do anything with it because I can't yeah. and strangely find it's given back as a kindness to myself and others um, yeah. and but that's yes it's practice of learning to sit in the silence but it's also a practice of learning to um, expl- express things like 
you know, like if I'm faithfully to pray the Psalms, the Psalms say, where are you? Why are you asleep on the job? Have you fallen asleep? Like this is what the Bible says about God that like um, we can challenge in prayer. Like why is there in this injustice? Why is there this? And once I've moved past the anger, there is always a, there is a sorrow. There is a grief that is underneath it. And that's when you really start to tap into the, the alchemy of seeing our grief turn to grace, like to, to see mm. our, our numbness be pierced by the pain of the world and realize it's not ours to hold, but it can move through us um, and let it move through in, in poetry and, and song um, and dance and hanging out with friends, storytelling and um, whether it's a pub or football or all these, there is no opportunity in life. This conversation right now is an opportunity to express that all that stuff is and offer it up to be transformed. So I think actually holding on to that stuff is part of the um, self-care is as much about letting go mm. as it is taking time away, um, allowing stuff to pass through. And sometimes, you know, you need a little bit of spiritual draino because there's certain stuff, you know, unforgiveness and, um, uh, you know, bitterness that where uh, it gets stuck. And, and then when you're watching the news, um, what you're responding to, I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on this, um, Bryn. Uh, my sister had a baby on Saturday, oh. which is amazing. My, my first niece, which is so incredible. Congrats. The horror of Friday with New Zealand um, started with the horror of a friend of mine um, who we've been through so much together um, was found dead. Um, uh, she'd been living in my aunt's um, apartment uh, as a way of getting back on her feet. Mm. And um, she'd been doing so well. She'd been through rehab and, um, you know, she has two degrees. She was brilliant and was working on her master's. And just two weeks ago, she tweeted to Father Bob saying, when I was 13 years old, you gave me food and you gave me a place to stay and you told me that God has a plan for my life. And um, now today I've got two degrees, including law, uh, a, a small business that is earning money and I'm putting myself through f further studies. And the tragedy of like, the coroner's report and the reality of like it, it was accidental um, after a, a relapse with alcohol and it's easy for that stuff to get stuck, Bryn. Like, it's yeah. easy for that stuff to... And what it brings up about other... My best mate died of a drug overdose when I was 19. And um, uh, for the last 15 years, I've, I've lived in such ways that I'm able to practice hospitality to people who are in a bad situation. So I've been able to open up my home because I've lived in communities mm. um, w with others where um, people who are homeless... That, that's why the story with the dude with the bike wasn't a big deal. I've literally done it hundreds of times before. Like, mm. um, it, you know, in the same way that people using Excel isn't difficult for them because they do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with Excel, yeah. but I do know how to welcome people who are having a hard time. And um, yeah. uh, that's uh, has been my practice. 
a, a mate who was murdered um, tragically after you know he, he was working with the Australian government um, responding to the realities of what was happening with the Taliban. He, he fled the Taliban, found safety here, and then just somebody with a mental illness with a knife just killed him. Like, mm. And some people are like, oh, it's easy for you, Jared, because like, you've got faith, which gives you all these answers. I don't have any answers. <laughs> I don't have... Like, Jesus like, asked 307 questions. What Jesus gives me is a bunch of questions. Mm. Like... <laughs> Yeah, like Jesus is the answer. What's the answer? Here's a bunch of questions. Oh, uh, that wasn't on the bumper sticker. Like you know, like yeah. Um, but they're they're questions that open us up instead of close us down. Yes. And w- with the tragedy of like finances in us. Yeah. Not give. Like this is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. You can't work it out for yourself. Yeah, it's um, if it doesn't involve our transformation, it's not the real work. Mm. Like there's not a there's not a cookie cutter kind of um, a Jesus response to different people is completely different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we should also yeah. expect um, that for ourselves. But I know I'm in a bad place, Bryn. If if I allow that stuff to stick in me instead of weep. And so whether it's, it's long bush walks or whether it's singing um, or, or whether it's writing poetry um, or, or, or whether it's like with my gorgeous wife, Kat, just praying and talking about it together and weeping together, the, the stuff that gets stuck is the stuff that makes it hard for us to open up to other things. Yeah. Um, clogged up we get clogged up and so all of us need to find a cycle where we can so how did you transition through friday through to saturday oh i haven't it's happening yeah like it's the start of your day then hearing what happened in new zealand and then the joy of Saturday. yeah um not well like in in all honesty um anybody who saw my my twitter uh from the weekend the the amount of displaced anger i felt at people being angry at egg boy yeah, it was definitely about other stuff for me. Yeah, like, it's just it about classic transference. <laughs> yeah, like, Projecting. but I, I just felt, and I can, I can give you all the rational kind of, you know, mm. like with the Dondale stuff, with the um, push camp. It was coming from here, but it's, it's always what animates the things that we rant about, and can we, can we actually diagnose that which lies behind? Mm. Um, and that's harder because, um, you know, I'd much rather rage against the machine than I would weep over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I find when I weep over it, that it's actually my tears that are the energy to actually seek to see change and know that change isn't up to me. I, um, my mum's in- incredible and, um, my mum with this friend, um, you know, it's just hours on a daily basis um, and for things to go so wrong in such a tragic way and just talking with my mum about, I, I don't know who you've lost, I don't know who your listeners have lost, but our job is only ever to love. Hmm. Transformation, I don't think, is ever our work. We we can't transform ourselves, let alone anybody else. It's one of those things that just kind of, it happens as we do the work. 
and our responsibility is the work and almost anything else is not our business. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's yeah. the sense of powerlessness that comes with, I like guilt is a way of staying in power. If I had done this, we'd, and there's like, that's part of the grief cycle to ask those questions. Like, why didn't I ring? Mm. Or, um, because you uh, think your what, phone call might have saved them. Exactly. You know, the yeah. things that people go through because what we seek is a way to control because we think control will actually give us security. Mm. But I mean, the ridiculousness of my faith, Bryn, is that what stands in the middle of my faith is a claim that God Almighty is all vulnerable. Like the, the symbol of my faith is a cross. It's, it's a symbol yeah. of capital punishment. <laughs> and it says that um, through this self-aware, chosen, suffering love, transformation happens and that is that is absolutely ridiculous and it's a it's a stumbling block and it's foolishness unless even just poetically or metaphysics aside you've you know something of the alchemy of love and then you're like yeah okay in terms of the god stuff jared like you know on your bike but the love stuff does require vulnerability Vincent Harding, um, who was a next-door neighbour of Martin Luther King and, and one of um, my mentors, he, he said that this work takes humility. Um, Jim Lawson, who actually trained Martin Luther King in his first ever nonviolent direct action, who um, uh, uh, has trained me and I've had the incredible honour of running workshops with him, he talks about how nonviolence is the greatest power available to us and all nonviolence is is love organized mm. wow. and people might think that's naive until you realize that you have no promise that it's going to work out right there was actually how it works out is none of your business yeah just be faithful to do the work that actually creates a context where transformation could sprout and grow um and it's a strange letting go. Like all we can do is our bit. Did you let go of all certainty or yeah, predictability? Or certainty control? is the opposite of faith. Yeah. Faith requires trust. Faith is unknowing. Um, mm. Technically, philosophically, Christianity and Judaism are agnostic faiths. I can't talk for my Muslim friends and neighbours. Um, but in terms of the traditions that academically I've studied Christianity is an agnostic faith because it doesn't claim to have a special knowledge a Gnostic kind of it's it's an unknowing hmm. and the reason that faith or put maybe more in our vernacular trust why it all starts with that is because vulnerability requires you to just step out um, and there's no way to love without risking the vulnerability that requires trust. Um, yeah, but it's so damn hard, isn't it? It's, not, it's just bloody hard work. Like, <laughs> I'd much rather just, like, you know, throw eggs at fascists. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Make yourself feel better. That's, that's right. <laughs> what does the next three to five years look like for Joe? It looks like um, being a good husband and dad, hopefully. 
um, that, that's the hopefully bit is attached to which bit in what you've just said. <laughs> um, the the good, <laughs> right? Like, um, uh, I have great models in my parents. They're extraordinary people, and the, the older I get, the more I appreciate. Um, we need ordinary heroes. Yeah, the, the more I meet, you know, people like Reverend Jim Lawson. Um, you know, who was with Martin Luther King when he was assassinated and it was the reason why Martin Luther King was in Memphis or um, you know, uh, Vincent Harding or Desmond Tutu. or well, I, I meet my heroes who have shaped my life from a distance and, mm. and they are ordinary. They're just ordinary folk like you and me. Like they're, they're just like us and yet they've thrown their whole life into their life not being about themselves and into a story that is more beautiful um, than our individualised kind of success addictions. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, so I, I hope, I don't know what it would look like. Um, I was offered a, a job in um, uh, Northern Ireland recently and uh, um, we're trying to, work out what life looks like for us in this next season um unfortunately our first home project which um i've literally invested all i've had uh to keep it open the last three years um uh i was in court two weeks ago and i am being forced to to sell um which is another sense of like dying and letting go it's it's sometimes harder to let go of the good and beautiful things um uh, yeah, and so the next three to five years, a bit like sitting in between the death of a friend and the birth of a niece, I'm feeling so much and it could go lots of different directions. Um, but discerning um, with gorgeous cat about what's her vocation, her calling, mm. and what would be best for the boys for them to... Um, grew up into you know, well-rounded, grounded, funny young men um, mm. that know their lives are, are to be lived for others and somehow in doing that we find who we really are. That's that's core work for for me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in this strange point as you catch me on this Monday morning, Bryn, um, of there's a lot of grief for me good grief mm. grief that gives thanks for all that's been um, and I don't know what's next um, I had a, a job offer if I want to move to Cyprus Kat's not into it <laughs> she's a school teacher yeah. and um, I don't think my uh, my vocation should trump hers or vice versa it's a discernment together so yeah. we'll find something that works for both of us but who knows? It's exciting. Yeah. As, as a mate said to me last night, you could never have imagined that First Home Project would have happened. Um, so who can imagine what I might be called to next? So I'm just trying to live in that space of forgiveness and um, making sure I'm doing the work of spiritual Drano and getting the things <laughs> yeah. out of the way that pain and 
and joy can flow through me instead of getting yeah. stuck. Um, but it was a, it was a question I showed Kat when I, I got your little questionnaire yeah. that you send out to, to guess. And uh, I showed Kat and she's like, oh, good luck with that one. Because <laughs> um, I'm in a space where I honestly don't know. Yeah. Mm. Fair enough. What are some of the um, questions I ask guests frequently? What are some of the things you do on a daily basis to keep you grounded, mm. trained? Should do or do? Do. I don't need you. I don't. I yeah. don't need. I, I don't need you preaching about what you should be doing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, um, which is is the rule. You can't talk about it unless you do it. Um, I should be going to the gym uh, with my mates Malad and Mason, uh, but I haven't been since my last two trips overseas. Right, and so I'm very aware that um, exercises hugely important for yeah. my mental health and with this stuff just going down both um uh losing first home project and losing a friend i really need to um so kat and i talked about it this morning and we're going to start running together but i shouldn't talk about that because we're not yet yeah in totally, terms of things totally that do do. <laughs> i i do do um silence is a daily practice that keeps me well hmm. um silence outside i find really helpful uh, in silence meaning sitting there quite silently do you know who John Deere is not the tractor no but, um, <laughs> Father John Deere w- was nominated by Desmond Tutu for the Nobel Peace Prize and like extraordinary guy been arrested over 50 times resisting um, militarization and uh, like he, he's just he's incredibly inspiring he's funny he's quirky um I love it. We were speaking at something together and um, somebody asked a question in a university secular setting about what sustains you. And thankfully, uh, I didn't answer first. His response was, well, for 15 minutes each day, I sit opposite an empty chair. And I imagine Jesus, which is the most concrete place I see God as kindness just sitting opposite me and the way that he looks at me and loves me I just try and sit in that and then I try and live my day out of that 15 minutes that's strong I love John he's he's such a good dude and the reason why he's so like authentic and alive and because, you know, you can tell when people are the real deal or when they're... Mm. You feel it. Yeah, you can feel it. And um, he does that work. So for me, uh, it is one of the most awkward spaces of my day. Um, <laughs> not because there's anything wrong with Jesus. It's always <laughs> me, right? Because yeah. like I, I, I have to sit with myself and the stuff that yeah. comes up and the... Thomas Merton, he joked about um, how sometimes in contemplative prayer, he was a Trappist monk, so he like five hours a day in silence. Yeah. Um, he would talk about how um, thoughts of burlesque would just appear. <laughs> and, you know, like the, the unconscious, the, the subconscious, like um, 
Like it, it, it does. You like the, the, the way that certain out. memories of, of certain undealt things kind of come up, and it's it's the Drano for me. Mm. It's the the kindness of the silence, which that which is present to me in every moment that I give time over to be present to the spirit. Um, that's really important. But I, I also do other daggy kind of Christian things, like I, um, I sing the Psalms daily, like as in I read the Psalms and just make up songs to them. Uh, and sometimes I like, that tune is completely inappropriate for how like joyful <laughs> these words are, or how <laughs> depressing these words are. Yeah. Um, so uh, daily Bible study is, is really important to me both singing psalms and imaginatively spending time um in the gospels um but exercise needs to be in there and at the moment it's yeah not, yeah needs to return needs to return yeah <laughs> awesome and my last question i ask guests no i'm intrigued to hear what you you'll say to this is um if you could take a one little nugget knowledge or information and just upload it into that collective consciousness everyone just got it huh what would it be oh wow <laughs> um the answer to this normally comes where you sit there and go well, if everybody just got this <laughs> everything would be fine we're loved bring at at the deepest level, we're loved, and there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing we can do to be loved more, and there's nothing we can do to be loved less. But we are unfailingly and unconditionally loved, and any practice or any theories or any language or poetry that we put around that should lead us to that place of the humble realization that we are all loved and uh, I, I pray for your listeners more than anything else that they could know whatever they're going through at the moment that they are loved that in the left lane is not for overtaking. But those two things together, <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I had to do something. I'm Australian. Yeah. Like, that was yeah. way too heavy and sincere yeah. for an Australian. Yeah. Jared, it's been an absolute, absolute treat and pleasure to talk to you this morning. Yeah, it's been great hanging out. I've super, super enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for doing what you do, Bryn. This is important. Like, creating these spaces where we can hear each other. I know you were sharing it about like how significant it's been for you, but it's significant for us as well. So thanks for taking this, this interest and passion and turning it into a gift for the rest of us because um, it's awesome. Thank you. Mm. And if anyone wants to come and find you, where do they find you? Uh, the wonders of the interwebs, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, th there's a Facebook page, which is simply my name, Jared McKenna. Um, uh, or there, there's Twitter or there's Instagram uh, but you're, you're I mean particularly there. if people are in, in WA um, uh, teaching pastor up at Sanctuary Church when I'm in the country um, not trying to pay the bills by running workshops on 
activism overseas or preaching overseas or whatever. So people are welcome to hang out there or, uh, you know, try and eat three times a day. Just <laughs> find me and invite me over. I don't know. <laughs> Here Love in it. WA, so it's, it's easy. Excellent. Excellent. Jared, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thank you.